a podcast. Did your radio show get canceled? Fire, fire, fire. Low down and filthy, but the discipline is on point. Schooled myself, made my own dojo. A cold flow with the whole dose of soul. Maintain composure, even in fury. An anomaly, properties undiscernible to mere peasants. Use weapons. This week on The Million Dollar Plan, we are talking healthcare. That's right. It's kind of hard uh, to not talk about healthcare because it's, uh, it's part of our life. We don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to say I'm scared about what's going on, but I definitely feel like I'm in the dark when it comes to health care. And I felt that way for several years as we have all these changes. Well, now Congress is voting. They're not voting. There's a plan. It's getting repealed. It's not getting repealed. And when I think of confusion in health care, I think of my good friend Paul Ashley, first person benefit advisors. Hello, sir. Uh, thank, thank you. You were the first guest at our new studio desk. This is sturdy. This is meaningful. It's, it's nice. There's wood. There's wood. It's like you're at a Hooters, but there's no (laughs) wings or harassment. Or or inappropriate clothing, yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, you can't see below the desk. But anyway, uh, Paul, what in the world is going on? Yeah. So we've lived under the confusion and complexity of healthcare reform since late 09 when it passed the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, Obamacare passed in, uh, I guess, would have been March of 10. So the impetulant seven year old. Sure. and then as, the, as Trump ran and, and, and the Republicans have talked about for the better part of seven years, they want to repeal and replace Obamacare. And now that they have the reins in D.C., they're finding out, hey, health care is complicated. Right. It's hard to deal with. Yeah. And they made an initial effort, as we all maybe know, about a month ago to repeal the Affordable Care Act and replace it with the American Health Care Act, the AHCA. Yeah, we needed more letters. More I think acronyms, that was yeah. the issue. Yeah. And the Republicans were smart. They said, listen, we, can, we know how to make something better than the Affordable Care Act. We'll just add one letter to the acronym. So I always feel like when you remember when you're a kid and your parents had certain ways of doing things and you were like, when I'm an adult, I'm going to change that. And then you get to be an adult and then you're like, I can't change yeah. that because that's really important. Yeah. Right? Like, it's the same thing. Yeah, and that's exactly what, uh, what they ran into. And the real, the real interesting challenge is there was no thought that any Democrats would cross over. Uh, but when you look at the mix of both the House and Senate from a Republican standpoint, you, what really stood in their way last time when they, they tried to pass the initial repeal and replace about a month ago was something called the Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus sounds like, uh, and this is no offense, this is offensive what I'm about to <laughs> but say. But you don't, I, I mean, no offense when I say this. No offense <laughs> when I say it, but it is offensive. Yeah. I don't really want to hang out with anyone that's part of a Freedom Caucus. It sounds a little intense. Yeah, I, and I'm confused. That's I thought, offensive. I thought caucuses can only happen in Iowa, and the fact that they actually exist right. in D.C. in Congress is totally confusing to me. Yeah, I... Freedom Caucus just sounds like we're going to name it like something that is we're overselling the idea that we're this group of people. Yes. And so who is the Freedom Caucus? If, if, if our conservative if, Republicans, it's, it's the most conservative uh, Republicans in the House and Senate who I don't mind hanging out with. Yeah. Seem to be good people. But um, so what happened was they, they felt like the AHCA, which was the proposed Republican legislation, didn't go far enough. Okay. And so. Uh, about a month ago. And so uh, when Speaker Ryan came forward and said, hey, we're going to pull this bill, and um, he famously said that the Affordable Care Act still remains the law of the land, yeah. it was actually his own House Republicans that 
put the pause on that and they went back to the drawing board. So what's the uh, what's the big beef with Obamacare? There's probably what two or three pieces of like uh, this Republicans we don't like this. What yeah. is it? So um, the tax, the, the penalties and fees against employers and individuals for not having health care is a big piece. Okay, so uh, what is the direct uh, replacement of that part of the policy, or is that completely, the whole point is to not have any? Right, the whole point is to not have any, which creates a revenue challenge. And so one of the things that we've talked about that was likely going to go away was going to be the Cadillac tax. And uh, for folks who aren't familiar, the Cadillac tax is a 40% excise tax on the value over a certain threshold, which was originally supposed to take place um, uh, headed into 17, it got delayed, and now it's ultimately pushed out to 2020 under the ACA. Yeah. The thought was that was gonna go away under the Republicans, mm -hmm. uh, because both Republicans and Democrats actually hated that sure. for, for different reasons. But now that they need to generate revenue because we're removing other taxes and fees, it looks like the Cadillac tax is actually gonna stay in when they score the bill from financial standpoint and budget neutrality. Yeah, so you know that's, that brings up another point. I mean, this week we saw the first look, we got the first look at the tax reform plan. Right. And there's a lot of concern in the retirement plan industry that uh, how this would affect 401k because it's there's a there's a lot of ambiguity in the language being used as they rolled it out that um, people are going to lose the the tax uh, benefits of potentially traditional IRAs, even Roth IRAs, and so it, there's a lot of unknown there. And so what you're saying is uh, sort of the unintended consequences of, of reform is the Cadillac tax that everyone didn't like is now back in the it's now back in the mix at least from a con congressional budget office you know they score every bill sure. that has an impact on the budget and they have to have a, a score of the bill that has some neutrality or is paid for right well if you take away you have to pay for stuff <laughs> well allegedly yeah rumor has it when did that start <laughs> yeah well apparently never apparently never but the uh, there there is a need to to make this work financially and it's complicated i mean it the funny thing is that this reminds me of the thing I know you and I have talked about before. Healthcare is expensive. It is a yeah. finite resource, like any other resource on the planet. And whether you believe it's a right or not, it is still not free. Yeah. If you believe it's a basic human right, that doesn't change the fact that it has a cost and there's a finite resource to it. And in the United States, we have traditionally rationed that with the deductible of money. Okay. In other countries, like Canada or the UK, where they have socialized medicine, they have rationed healthcare with the deductible of time. Okay, so what do you mean by that? That sounds really good. Yeah, I need so, to understand it now. So if you think about uh, if you think about in Canada, we hear a lot about that. A lot of us have family or neighbors that sure. live up there. Um, healthcare quote is free there. Yeah, right. They they do have a little. They have higher taxes, but what happens is for uh, non-emergent services, mm -hmm. they don't have to pay, but they may have to wait six months for a hip replacement. Gotcha. In the United States, you have to pay, but you can get a hip replacement the next day. So there, some people in Canada. By the way, have you ever met a Canadian you don't like? They're all great. They're all great. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's jerk Canadians. I doubt it. Is there? I don't know. And if they were jerk Canadians, they would recognize it and say, "Oh, sorry, so sorry." Sorry. <laughs> Uh, so they've become comfortable. I like like the, the, the they. Yeah. Them. The Canadians have become comfortable with this time deductible, or or, or most people have. Some people have because some people got to be like, well, I wish I want my hip replacement now. Right. And so Canadians of means mm -hmm. often travel down to the United States with cash in hand oh, okay. and pay for things. Canadian dollars. Uh, well, they I, I believe they have to convert it to the U.S. currency. Okay. Um, I'm not I'm not an expert on currency exchange. No, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, 
But yeah, they, they come down with their converted uh, Canadian currency and they pay so they don't have to wait. I mean, I actually had an uncle who lives half the month in Toronto. He's a Canadian citizen. Okay. Half, or half the year in Toronto, half the year in Florida. Had to get hip replacement. They said, we've got you scheduled for eight months. So the guy's in pain. He has no quality of life. Right. So he made the decision to take, take his savings and come down to Florida and have a hip replacement within two weeks. I feel compelled to say it's not unreal. It, it is unrealistic to expect us to switch to a system like Canada's system. But I have no reason to say that other than I feel compelled to say that. It would be a massive shift. I think we're more likely long-term not to go to socialized medicine, mm-hmm. but what I call, what, what is called single-payer health care. Okay, I don't understand that. And despite the fact that you've done a great job of explaining it to me several times over the years, what does that, who's the payer? So... Um, not the employer? What's happening? So What's the, gov- the government, all, so if you think about single-payer, okay. that's essentially Medicare, okay. which is how seniors yes. get post-65, sure. get health care in the United States paid for. It's essentially Medicare for all. So that doesn't mean that you don't pay anything. It just means the primary funding source is through the federal government. They collect money from individuals. They collect money from the tax resource. Okay. And then the, what's different about that and socialized medicine is with socialized medicine, the hospitals, the providers, the healthcare apparatus is actually directly employed by the government. With oh. single payer. No, we don't want that. With single payer, you still have private market healthcare, and you have private market institutions, insurance companies, and TPAs facilitating but they're out the of single it. payer, but the government is the funder. So who's the funder now? Well, it's a mixed bag right now of healthcare in the United States. It's a combination of individual private pay, private insurance, employer funded, and government funded. Um, over half the healthcare money spent in the United States is actually already from state and federal government. How about the general uh, unhealthy nature of Americans in terms of obesity and 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 does that affect this this whole discussion well so if you think about the affordable care act okay. and you think about the proposed and reproposed legislation uh, from the republican leadership neither of them do a whole lot to truly address the root cause of why health care is expensive in the united states okay one of the root causes of why health care is expensive is the population health of citizens of the united so it doesn't matter what the unit cost of healthcare is if you don't need to buy the unit cost. So if we could drive down the need and we could be better with primary care and there would be better self-care, then we wouldn't spend as much money in the United States. Or if we did, it would be spent at an earlier point more thoughtfully and treat episodes of care versus, you know, um, wait till people get sick and then treat the symptoms. And so that's an issue. There's no incentive around that. There's no systematic change to that. The other root cause is um, around why healthcare continues to be expensive and not really addressed well with either bill is uh, efficiencies around technology and leveraging technology. It's one of the most inefficient systems in, in, in the world. It's, Which is it's how crazy. we deliver healthcare, yeah. I mean, think about it. You get a test and then you have to go see another specialist. Sometimes they have to reorder the test and it's like, why do we not have a, a repository and, and, and information that can be shared? We will talk about that and more uh, after the break. I also want to talk about, which I love to bring up every time you're on, uh, my family pays $17,000 a year for health care, and it includes four wellness appointments, and pretty much that's it. So that's awesome. I'm going to complain about that a little bit more after the break. You're listening to The Million Dollar Plan. I'm Pete the Planner.
question the right of any man to voice his opinion as strongly as any can. But then again, many men are citizens of their own little world, so they ain't really fitting in. I'm in the background blending We're back here in the Million Dollar Plan. I'm Pete Planner. Paul Ashley, first person uh, advisors, joins us. What's your title? Managing Director. Oh, jeez. That and five bucks you can buy yourself a Happy Meal with. But you shouldn't because it'll make you unhealthy. Paul, we're talking healthcare today. Uh, I pay $940 a month for our healthcare, and we make a $6,750 deposit into our HSA uh, every year uh, for a total of, I don't know, the math, 17,000 bucks or something like that. Uh, sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars, and we we legitimately go to the doctor one time a year each to make sure our parts still work. Um, we're doing it the right way. We're mm-hmm. funding our HSA, max, 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 maxing it out, it out. Huge yeah. tax benefit. Yep. Good for the long term when we're less healthy. Uh, and and I would like to make a, an important point in saying, I'm okay to a degree that I'm paying seventeen thousand dollars a year for nothing. Well, I think it's. You could argue you're paying nine hundred dollars a month to, for what feels like nothing. Yes. And the other sixty-seven okay. is, is actually you're you're keeping you're, you're building your power percentage. Sure. No. I know. Yes. Ha, did you see that? I did like that. Yeah. Um, so the the question would be, I'm okay with the nine hundred a month, knowing that other people have coverage that actually need. The, that's the small bit of socialist in me. Sure. And, right? and you are transferring massive liability risk that you could incur unexpectedly right. to an insurance company. So something totally unexpected happens to you or one of your family members, uh, an accident, a heart attack, I mean, just something, right? An unexpected injury that isn't in your control. And then you uh, you then have hundreds of thousands of dollars of bills. Well, you've transferred that risk to the insurance company. So that's part of what you're paying for, but it's yeah. it, it I, feels like a racket. I, I'm a capitalist, yeah. I, I am. and. But I think fundamentally, this is part of the disagreement. Some people are not okay with paying for other people's health care, and other people are. Yeah, and I well, think I'm okay with that. When we talk about insurance and transfer of risk, regardless of how it works, the law of large numbers is in play. And the law of large numbers, numbers is a principle in any insurance product that the premium of many go to cover the claims of less or few. Sure. That just, that's how risk transfer works. That's life works. insurance. That's, that's car, automobile all insurance. Of it. Yeah. Right. So... That is what it is. What people really have a beef about when it comes to the uh, health insurance under the Affordable Care Act, Mm -hmm. primarily in the individual market and in the small groups of less than 50 employees in most states, um, is that we went from a risk-based system where younger, healthier people used to pay less and old, sicker people used to pay more. Sure. Now we've shrunk that down. And yes, older people still pay a little bit more than young people, but health status doesn't get factored into the underwriting process when you and your family went to buy that $900 And policy. that's why it went up from like 500 a month to 900 a month over the last couple right. years. And if you were to talk to a similarly healthy uh, older couple that had younger kids, sure. maybe they had kids later in life, but they were 20 years older, right. they are actually paying less than they were prior to the ACA because their age got factored less and maybe health status got factored less. And so what happened was your cost went up, their cost went down, and there's more of a, it's what's called community rating. Right. And it's sort of that socialistic, uh, you know, I, I get why that's okay mindset. What is interesting about the Affordable Care Act is, or about the proposed legislation from the Republicans is, 
while maybe not at a federal level they'll take away community rating, they're going to actually kick back likely to each state. This is something they've signaled. Okay. They're going to kick back to each state the ability to determine do they use risk underwriting, which is what we used to have, or stick with the community rating, which is what the ACA Okay, has. so the, the, it's, there's risk underwriting or community underwriting? Community rating, yeah. Community, okay, risk underwriting or community rating. Yes. Those are the two. Basically. Is there a hybrid? I mean, there's, sure, there's like an in-between, which is community rating, but some risk factor only to a certain percentage. So, but what the diff the main difference is, is will we use health status? Mm -hmm. And how big of a factor is age and gender? So when you start using health status, though, that's when you get people who are uninsurable on some level or they can't afford the coverage based on their health. Right. So the other thing the Republicans have signaled is we're not gonna we're not gonna take away pre-ex or the ability to be rejected for coverage. Okay. But we're gonna give the insurance market more latitude to charge more for charge less for healthy people and charge more for sick people. So okay, let, let's let's take a, a, an example of a family making $40,000 a year, okay? So that is well below the median uh, U.S. Mm -hmm. household income of sixty-six or $68,000. Um, so 40000 three kids, uh, unhealthy. How in the world are they going to afford increased premiums under what we're talking about? So two things. Number one, they'll still be insurable, okay. which they've signaled. Two, their costs would likely go up. Okay. Three, they're proposing that um, instead of the tax credits and subsidies that people can get when they buy through the exchange, that they'll receive um, tax credits that come off, you know, that, that help defray the cost. Sure. When you, much like you do with your health savings account, you, okay. it becomes an above the line deduction and you reduce your tax liability. Same thing is gonna happen. They're gonna receive tax credits, refundable tax credits. But I thought with tax reform, we're basically eliminating all deductions and credits. This might be an exception. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, so what, what else, um, so, so does that mean each state, like is it the legis legislature that'll say, we're gonna be a risk underwriting versus the, the community thing? Yeah, and, and in, in coordination with each state's Department of Insurance. So, oh. Yeah, so okay. the Department of Insurance, each state has their own Department of Insurance, sure. so the Indiana Department of Insurance, the IDOI, uh, works directly with the governor's office and the state legislature to pass and change different regs and laws related to insurance product and, and uh, oversight in the state of Indiana. So if the federal government says it's no longer a federal law that community rating has to exist, it now can be determined at the state level, which is really what it used to be. So is that is it going to be based on if whether you're a red state or a blue state? <laughs> it could be, yeah, or other economic factors. Um, I would think that more Republican-leaning states are going to go back to the, the way risk. it used to be, yeah. the red states, and the more Democrat-leading states or the blue are going to maybe keep community rating. And I have to admit, this really feels like the heart of disagreement between a conservative and a, a liberal mindset, right? Sort of the... Republican principles and Democratic principles like this this when you really break it down the way you have it's gonna say we have but I haven't really added to the You've conversation asked really <laughs> and good questions that, I've asked some pretty dumb questions <laughs> uh, I really feels like it's the heart of this right it's yeah. like it, on what side is the incentive is the incentive to be uh, healthy and make a great living sort of the trickle-down economics right. of, of the GOP platform versus hey we we, we should help everybody yeah, and it's it, 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 that at the core there is, is it a basic human right or not? Or to what level is it a basic human right? That's a tough question. And 
how do you fund wherever you fall on that spectrum? So let me, let's go off uh, track because it wouldn't be the show if we didn't. I saw yeah. uh, Senator Bernie Sanders just tweeted this week that it is a fundamental human right to make more than $15 an hour. Um, that's sort of a weird statement, right? I mean, because... Because if you overuse fundamental human right as a, as a reason for something to be, it sort of loses its power. And then has downstream intended and unintended consequences. I'll give it an example that's related to that. That's a Sanders piece. It seems like the state of New York is moving to free public education. They're, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Call free public college, college education. education. So what are some unintended consequences of that? I believe that private institutions are going to see significant pressure mm -hmm. because quality students that used to go to private institutions in New York might now choose the free path at the state institution. So they're gonna be having a harder time getting students to come in the tuition and, and scholarship money that follows. The other unintended consequence is as you make things free and disconnect the consumer from the end user, then costs tend to go up because yeah. there's not a direct, which is what we have in healthcare, by the way, back in the 1980s and early 90s when we moved to managed care, the HMO type model, and uh, we made a doctor's office be, in the consumer's mind, a $10 copay. Right. Well, that's not the true cost of a doctor's visit. Yeah. That's what you paid, but that's not what the actual cost is. So people weren't being good healthcare consumers because they were like, wow, it's just 10 bucks. It's just 10 bucks. So, yeah. you know, again, the New York example, if we make public uh, university and college education free in New York, I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I'm just yeah. saying, what's the unintended consequence of that? So, Same thing happened in healthcare. So, so okay, I, I like this conversation, and we're going to have it for about 30 more seconds before we go to break. I, I guess we'll just leave we'll, we'll leave it hanging, and we'll pick it up in the next segment. But um, So for, for the people on the other side of the argument, when we say something like, hey, there's unintended consequences, um, you know, prices are going to just gonna keep going up for, for everybody else when we have, and then they say, well, I, I don't care. Like, but what's that argument? Like, I'm curious, like, what we're going to come back to the break is beyond I don't care uh, of the unintended consequences, there has to be some way for, for that side of the, the argument to deal with it. So uh, if you're just joining us, uh, great, we're going to commercial. But we're, uh, we're talking to Paul Ashley, uh, managing director at First Person, talking health care, what's going on right now. Uh, and we'll do that more here after the break. This is The Million Dollar Plan, and I'm Pete the Planner. Mr. Kinetic, Rusty Redenbacher, ATFU, Snaptown, yeah. Cashing in like the end of the game at the casino. I lean so the glare of the rear view don't hit me. Swiftly through the avenues and boulevards. Old soul playing on my speakers. Old soul but young and age of boss player. Not from the Himalayas, but my fam gave me Gary Indiana game. Grew up around the country, but the mindset was there. Ain't I won't complain about a damn thing on this beat. We're back with Paul Ashley, managing director of First Person here on the Million Dollar Plan, talking healthcare. Uh, so a couple things. When we make uh, healthcare free, when we make college free, 
Uh, the unintended consequences are that prices are going to continue to rise because of the funding sources uh, have shifted, much in the way student loans have made the price of college go up because right. there's red readily uh, available funds to send people to college. For those people, most people acknowledge that, right? And, and, and the, the right side of the aisle says this is a problem. What's the left side of the aisle say to that? I think the left side of the aisle says let's shift this to this is a basic human right. And then it gets back into this, what are the human rights? Right, it's a basic human right, and we as a nation need to come forward and pay for this. And whatever that looks like, uh, no, no, no American should go without the ability to access and pay for health care. So, I mean, and then so that disagreement, yeah. that disagreement is at the core of, so, is it a basic human right and how do we fund it? This is how I know I'm in the middle, because I think to be far on the right, you're saying, well, oh, it's obvious is the way it is. And to be far on the left, it's like, this is obvious, this is the way That's it right. is. And, and I think we started our, our segment today with saying, this is really a complicated oh, issue. Massive. It, so healthcare makes up about 19, somewhere just shy of 20% of the GDP in the United States, the gross domestic product. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about... What percent? About 20%, just okay. slightly less. So 20% of our economy is wrapped up in healthcare. That's a massive yeah, huge. amount of money. And so to move the needle, to change a system, we're talking about billions and trillions of dollars that affect million, everybody is touched by healthcare in one way or another. This goes without saying, but it doesn't really help when uh, the president says things like, uh, this is easy, we're gonna do it, and it'll be a lot better, and everyone, I mean, to, to trivialize it down to a level which it can't be, because That's it true. is, uh, and I also see there's just no compromise going on right now. I think no. to, to get anywhere, that we're gonna have to find compromise. Now tell us how this affects Medicaid, because um, from, from what I understand, there's a pretty big impact. Yeah, there's a huge impact. Indiana actually sits in an interesting position for that, too. So let's talk about the general impact. So Medicaid, not to be confused with Medicare, Medicare right. is for seniors and, dis and disabled persons. Uh, Medicaid is a federally funded, state-funded program run by each state. Sure. So each state has their own version of Medicaid. And the Affordable Care Act uh, pushed expansion of Medicaid. Each state made a different decision. What the Republicans are proposing is going to pull back some of that funding and then states are going to have to make potentially new decisions, either step up and continue to ensure the folks they had through the federal funded expansion or pull back. And one of the things that, um, for good or bad, love it or hate it, that the Affordable Care Act definitely did is we took the uninsured population from north of 20 to just south of 10%. So you say, oh, it's a success. Well, you know, maybe. And a lot of that was due to Medicaid expansion. So if we fund Medicaid differently, you're going to see the uninsured begin to rise in certain states who change, change their policies. Now, that has an impact on everybody because the uninsured goes up. That means that um, hospitals and providers are having to do free care. Right. And then that translates to them wanting to pass on costs to private pay and insured individuals and, and employer-funded plans. So it all, it's all part of the system, right? What is interesting about Indiana is under the Affordable Care Act, we uh, took our original HIP program, the Healthy, uh, Healthy Indiana Plan, and created HIP 2.0, okay. which you hear a lot about. It's in the yeah. news. It's, they're, they're doing a good job marketing it. And what HIP 2.0 is the, the way we in Indiana chose to expand Medicaid, but do it in a more consumer-based way that um, put choice and power in the consumer's hands gave them what's called a power account, which is essentially a health savings account, mm -hmm. and made a sliding scale of payment. So we didn't do a carte blanche expansion of Medicaid like some other states. We did a more thoughtful consumer-based way, and it's working pretty well. So 
if 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 this sort of we go this direction and it falls back more on the states, this could end up bankrupting a tremendous number of states. Correct. So what's interesting about Indiana, our example, if the funding mechanism changes, our example probably still stands and doesn't have to have massive tweaks. Okay. So wouldn't everyone just adopt our methodology? Interesting. Yeah. So the one of the key architects of HIP 2.0. It was Mike Pence, right? Yes, but the actual boots on the ground architect yeah. was a woman named Seema Verma. That Seema Verma. Yes, and yeah. Seema Verma is now the uh, director of the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, appointed by Federal. Trump federally. Okay. So she she has a knowledge of how HIP 2.0 works. If the funding mechanism at the federal level changes, states are going to be coming to her and other states to learn how do we do you know what do we do now that we're holding this bag. And so Indiana, interestingly, is going to likely be an example of how to do Medicaid in your state without bankrupting under the new financial regulations. So it's, it's quite obvious, and, and you understand this more than just about anybody. I mean, it's definitely more than most consumers, most employers. Your job is to help employers yep. understand it. That's what you, you all do. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Or do you have to throw in the wild card, we're talking about <laughs> politics? Yeah, we're talking about politics. And, you know, as, as, we, as we record this today, um, the, the Republicans have just delayed another vote. They've kicked it to, quote, next week. Mm -hmm. um, and who knows what's going to happen, quote, next week. Next week could be next, next week. But know? they're just, I mean, and, and this is obvious, but it's worth stating. Uh, at this point, they're completely ignoring the, the Democrats because what's it really matter? They're going to vote against whatever's coming. Pretty much. So, so they're just working, the GOP is just working it out amongst themselves, trying to get the Freedom Caucus back. That, but they also, if they go too far, yeah. now they run the risk of taking the moderate Republicans and whatever they would name their caucus, yeah. <laughs> and losing them. So yeah. they've, they, they've got to move it farther to the right, but they can't go so far to the right that they lose the moderate Republicans. So what's going to happen? Um, so what's going to happen? So the, the original draft of the AHCA signaled a couple things, a few things we've already talked about. How they fund uh, Medicaid is mm -hmm. definitely on the table. Um, repealing the employer mandate, likely repealing the employee mandate. Now, things that probably won't change, um, they'll still have no pre-existing conditions, Guaranteed insurability, adult ch child coverage up to age 26, sure. um, preventive care required, because these are market reforms that have taken place that have largely been like, you know, that actually worked. Yeah. They were part of the ACA, and to pull those back now would probably be pretty short-sighted. And so they've signaled those will stay. Some other changes, um, they're likely to make um, the health, health savings accounts, which you and I have always Loved. you know, beat the drum of. Uh, HSAs are going to be easier to buy. Uh, more latitude under what plan design you can have and also be health savings account compatible and get the, get the tax benefits and the long-term savings benefits, um, the Medicaid changes. Um, so, so something's going to happen. Something's going to happen, absolutely. So when you, when you hear the of, For yeah, employers, yeah. by the way, that are listening to this, one of the things we believe is going to happen, and by the way, technically, this may have already happened in a practical standpoint. One of the very first things Trump did, I think it was the day he was inaugurated or the next day, he signed uh, an executive order that said, relax the enforcement of the Affordable Care Act. And so the tax penalties and, and reporting things, if yeah. people don't do it, then there, there may, there's maybe no teeth of enforcement. Deregulation. Deregulation, yeah. Uh, last question before we go to break, and then we come back and wrap this up. Um, when the president says Obamacare is collapsing, it's a disaster, like what does collapsing Obamacare mean? He, he's partially onto something, actually. Okay. So. Um, when he says Obamacare is collapsing, what he's talking about is 
the state and federal-based exchanges. Okay. So what's happened is as, as insurers, so private insurers are the ones that are filing products to be in the federal exchange in right. Indiana or the Kentucky-based exchange. They've stopped filing them, right? Where they've stopped filing and they pulled out of the market. Like yeah. United Healthcare pulled out of almost every state except for maybe three or four. Mm -hmm. um, Humana pulled out, right? There's an area in Kentucky near, um, or not Kentucky, Tennessee near Chattanooga where there's like six, seven counties that literally have no options. Yeah. So if you live in that county, you there's you, you go to the exchange based on the zip code and where you live, you you can't buy. Okay. And so what's happening is the private market insurers are pulling out because the funding mechanism's changing. Not enough healthy people are buying into the eventual exchanges. Yeah. It's only the sick and un, previously uninsured. And uh, it just, the, the law of large numbers is not working on their behalf. So because they're a private market, yeah. they're like, we're out, we've got shareholders we have to, uh, to, to deliver a return on. And so they pull out and it is slowly collapsing. Now, the Trump administration can do things to make the collapse either happen slower or mm -hmm. not happen or happen faster. But they're letting it. They're letting it happen. happen. Of course yeah. they are. All right. So uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take one final break, come back, wrap this whole thing up uh, with Paul Ashley, Managing Director of First Person Advisors. This is The Million Dollar Plan. I'm Pete the Planner. Day, living through the peace of my soul, I remain whole even in the middle of the pain. Even though my life has the rain, I still remain sane, writing and creating for my life. And my pen is my sword given by the Lord, and I use it to fight the tides of restriction. Sometimes I'm conflicted by myself looking at the trees too much and can't see the forest. Enemies shall inherit the earth, and I want to inherit something, something other than the high blood pressure and diabetes. So work is what I gotta do. Stay true to my enemy and water the trees that I sing from and look out for the lumberjacks. Running with the gale force wind at my back. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. All right, wrapping up this week's Million Dollar Plan with Pete the Planner. I'm, I'm no bomb this week. No biggest waste of money. Why? More important things to talk about. Paul Ashley, Managing Director of First Persons, back with us. Uh, FLSA. Fair, Fair Labor Standards Act. Yep. How, how? What's happening there? So there are a lot of talk. The Fair Labor Standards Act is a massive law. A lot of talk last year and really the two years leading up to it. On December 1st of 2016, there was a new overtime rule that was supposed to oh, take yeah. effect. And then it got suspended, right? It got, it got uh, there was a federal court injunction uh, placed on it. And so what was supposed to happen was the a lot, of, a lot of changes, but the main thing that was affecting employers and their employees was those individuals that were exempt from overtime had to have a certain set of rules, but then also have a certain salary threshold. Okay. That salary threshold was getting moved, effective December 1st, from about 23000 a year to just over 47000 a year. That's a massive change. Yeah. Now you're thinking, well, you know, there's not that many salary people that are below that threshold, but nonprofits, um, you know, people uh, that are in middle management positions sure. early in their career, to make less than 47000 is possible, but still be exempt from overtime. Mm -hmm. So what they're saying is, you make $41,000 a year, you're a salaried employee, all of a sudden they're telling the employer as of 12-1 of 16, they have to at least make 47-7. Massive change, yeah. right? So they either need to move them to hourly, or they have to clock their hours, which has a cultural challenge, yeah. or bump up their salary to get above that income threshold, which has a financial challenge. And what happened was a uh, district court in Texas basically put an injunction on that, kicked the can, and then the Obama administration um, 
prior to leaving, uh, leaving then uh, uh, did an appeal. Mm -hmm. That appeal then is sitting in court, but guess who administration is now in charge of that appeal? The Trump administration. They're probably gonna drop that appeal and yeah. now the injunction's gonna hold for a while and we won't have a change to overtime rules. Practically speaking, most employers, because it happened at the 11th hour, most employers already made changes, yeah. and they're just there now, and they're, they're following a law they don't need to. Well, it's like the fiduciary rule with yes. the Department of Labor. It's the same thing. It's the like all, all of the, all these changes were made, um, and then it was like, no, nope, not, not happening. Yeah. And then, I don't know. I think the theme here is the practical application of massive rules in D.C. and how people don't really understand what works on Main Street. Yeah. And it just creates a hot mess for employers and the employees, and it's, uh, it's it, a challenge. And it's also the, the whole argument between regulation and deregulation, right? It's just like, should, should we regulate? I don't want to say regulate morality because that's not where we're going, but we're almost going with regulating sort of um, social norms as it relates to compensation and health care and those sorts of things. And how you board people on airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Ashley, Managing Director of First Person. Thank you for joining us. First uh, guest at the new desk. Mm, it's nice. It is great. Now when I say knock on wood, it's legitimately wood. All right, that's all we have uh, time for this week. Thanks for joining us. Go to PeteThePlanner.com for more. If you want to watch this episode and see what we're knocking on, PeteThePlanner.tv. Go to FirstPersonAdvisors.com to learn more about uh, the good folks at First Person and Paul Ashley. Uh, until next time, I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. This is Million Dollar Plan. If you want to be on this podcast and have Pete fix your money life, then hit us up at PeteThePlanner.com slash podcast. You heard me. PeteThePlanner.com slash podcast. Log on. This is for information purposes only. It's not the Swiss Financial Planning Device. Consult Avancial Divisor. Release from Everest, the freshest fresh. And you can call me E.T. or to John Tesh. Let me bless this harmonic presentation. It's amazing, so amazing. I'm the reason. Uh, salutations. I grade you love trying greetings from a faraway land. I am the soul controller. Put the remote down and let me take control. You're now a part of my zone. So enjoy yourself. Love Tron can restore your health. I bring you greetings. Uh, Salutations, how you doing? And is that how y'all say it? The tinkling of the keys is an homage to the little, little star. I sojourn over poetic descriptions of sound and travel to my other world. Out of this world, spaceship on my arm took me home, filled by the ink and the megabytes and the hypertext transfer protocol stronger than the Skynet and the Terminator. I push faders into warp speed, glide with ease, creating a breeze they call a black hole, event horizon, no rear view concerns. This I adjourn, adjourn. and beats I burn, I burn, I burn, I burn. This I adjourn, and beats I burn, I burn. Salutations, I bring you love, trying greetings from a far away land. I am the soul controller. Put the remote down and let me take control. You're now a part of my zone, so enjoy yourself. Love, try, can restore your health. I bring you greetings. Uh, salutations, how you doing? And is that how y'all say it?